Let's talk about spiritual gifts. We've been in a series called Spiritual Gifts for a few weeks now, and uh, we are in actually in week three of this series. Today, uh, we, you, you might think that we would be, if we we're going to follow Paul's order in the list that you heard Sharon read to us a few minutes ago, you might think that we're going to talk about the gift of faith. And if we were going to go in the order that he listed there, then we certainly would talk about the gift of faith. But... Um, We're going to take a little bit of liberty here so that we can understand these in categories. Uh, I've said this to you a few weeks ago when we started this series. There are nine gifts listed in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where we are studying this series. And these nine gifts can be broken into three categories. And so today we're actually going to continue in the, in the order of the categorization. In fact, we can put these up on the screen for you. You can see that these are gifts of revelation, gifts of power, and then gifts of inspiration. So we talked about words of wisdom and words of knowledge. And today, rather than going in the order that Paul wrote it, uh, we are going to go in the order of the categorizations. We're going to continue this, uh, this kind of micro-series, if you will, and even finish this micro-series on the gifts of revelation. Today we're going to talk about discernment of spirits. Then we'll pick Pick it up. After that, we'll talk about faith, miracles, and healing. We'll talk about prophecy. And then together, we'll talk about tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so if you're interested in what in the world that is and whether or not we're allowed to do it and when you do it, what does it mean, make sure you don't miss any of those weeks. Um, so today, we're talking about the gift of discernment of spirits. I want to do three things with you today, and the time that I've got your attention is I want to first define this term, discernment of spirits. Then I want to look at two biblical stories that will give us uh, examples or descriptions of what this looks like in action. And then third, I just want to wrap up with giving us some practical steps or tips for how we can engage the gift of discernment of spirits. The preface of all of this is that, as you heard in Scripture, these are spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit to people in the church. So we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to give us these gifts and to minister these gifts in and through our lives. So as we define this term, discernment of spirits, this this spiritual gift, we might broaden it. Let's talk in general terms for a second. Discernment in a general term has to do with perception and understanding. Now, you can begin to see now why we would categorize that in the same grouping as words of wisdom and words of knowledge, because discernment has to do with what you understand, what you perceive about a given moment. Webster's Dictionary actually uh, would describe or define the word discernment as the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. So discernment is your ability to grasp or comprehend what's obscure. Uh, Not just is two plus two four, but something a little bit more obscure, nuanced, or layered than that. So different from words of knowledge, which is when God tells you information or facts supernaturally, discernment of spirits is about seeing what is really going on and who is really at work behind what can be known. Last week, I told you about these two guys, John Stott and Bob Hunt. They wrote, they're four square ministers in our denomination, and they wrote a book called Positioned for the Gifts, and they just break down all of these gifts. And in that book, they say the gift of discerning of spirits involves supernatural perception that allows an individual to perceive the type of spirit that is behind a person, especially their words and actions. Simply... This gift allows the believer to distinguish the origin of the words and the actions of an individual. Are they from man, God, or Satan? Now, in other words, 
I want you to understand, one of the things that they said in here is that they're, they're implying something that you have to understand. We live in a reality that is not just physical. There's a, there's a spiritual reality as well as there is a physical world. Poke your neighbor real quick. That's the physical reality. If you're waiting for me to give the prompt for when you poke them in the spirit, I don't know how to give you that prompt, and that's weird. Why did you think that? But discerning of spirits allows us to see which type of spirit or spiritual influence is happening or engaged in a moment or is influencing a person. It'll be helpful for you to know this. There are three types of spirits. Let's talk about those for a minute since we're in this defining our term kind of section of this message. Number one, there is the Spirit of God. John chapter 4 verse 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So the Father, the Holy Spirit, and even Jesus are all spiritual beings. We know this, that even Jesus had to, the Bible says, put on flesh in John chapter 1. He had to put on flesh in order to come and dwell among us, to come into the world. He had to put on an earth suit. He had to, in other words, put on the physical realm, because he was only spirit before that. Then we see, so there's the spirit of God. Then there is the second kind of spirit, which is the human spirit. Now, in, in Thessalonians chapter, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is actually writing a blessing to the Christians in the city of Thessalonica, and he says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's a nice blessing, but there's a, here's the thing that I want you to see. He goes on, And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just so you know, you're not just your body. This is actually one of the things that separates out human beings from everything else in creation because we are physical, but we are also spiritual, which is why we can engage in the physical reality, but also in spiritual realms as well. So you are a body, you are a soul, you are a spirit. You, you might actually be able to say you are a spirit that has a body. This is, this is why, again, we can engage in both of these realities. The third kind of spiritual being that you need to know about is what we would call in a kind of a, an umbrella category is angelic spirits. But angelic spirits can be divided into two groups, angels and demons. It's just, just so that you know, are real. These are real. So angels might be defined this way as spiritual beings created by God that serve God's people and purpose. And then you might define demons as spiritual beings also created by God that work against God's people and purpose. What's interesting to know is if you study scripture, you find out that demons actually are the same as angels in their existence, in, in the way that they were created. All demons actually were at one point angels. You can read in Revelation chapter 12 or in Jude chapter 6, there's the story of how Satan, he got pride in his heart and he decided to become like God and he got cast out of heaven. And from then has been waging war against God and his people and his purpose in the world. But Satan didn't fall from heaven by himself. A bunch of angels went with him and those are now the creatures the spiritual beings that we refer to as demons or demonic spirits. 
So angels and demons are the spiritual uh, or, or angelic type of spirit. So again, there are three different kinds of spirits, human spirit, God's spirit, and angelic spirits. With that in mind, now that we've kind of laid that foundation, listen again as we're wrapping up our defining of the term to Stott and Hunt's definition. They say, the gift of discerning of spirits involves spiritual perception, not just the ability to discern with your own mind, but supernatural spiritual perception, God-given perception that allows an individual to perceive the type of spirit that is behind a person, especially their words or actions. That phrase behind a person means that is influencing a person, right? So for example, I might ask you just in a regular conversation, you say something kind of crazy and I might say, why did you say that? Or you do something kind of nuts and I go, what made you do that? That's a question where I'm fishing for understanding about what's going on. Why did you do the thing that you did? Parents, you've all asked that question. But a person with the gift of discerning of spirits might not ask the question, why did you do the thing? They might actually say what you said was inspired by God. Because God is a spirit, and therefore one of the things that you might discern if you have the gifts of discerning spirits is that God was behind what is happening right now. That was a word of the Lord. Or you might say what you said or what you did was inspired by human thinking. In the church terms, we call that uh, in being in the flesh. Or you might say, if you have the gift of discernment of spirits, you might say something like what you said or what you did is inspired by demons, by a demonic spirit. We'll talk about what do you do if that happens. We'll talk about that in just a minute. People with the gift of discerning of spirits are, you might say, hypersensitive to spiritual realities. Think about this. What is the temperature in this room right now? Freezing? You're welcome. It's a million degrees in summertime. Okay, watch, watch. Let's do an experiment. Chris. Thermostat's right over there. Can you stand up and go and walk to the thermos and just yell loudly, what is the temperature in the room? 73 degrees. Okay, this is the difference. Uh, this, this, is, this is how this works. I can, in my physical reality, take a kind of a gauge of whether it's warm or cold or freezing in a room, right? 73 is freezing for Isabel. Buy her many sweaters. It's one thing for you to be able to kind of take a gauge in a physical reality as a room hot or cold. In the same way, I can get a sense of what's going on in the spirit reality when I walk into a room. I can get a sense. The gift of discerning of spirits is when God gives you the supernatural ability to stand up and look at the thermostat and say 73 degrees. Or to use that in spiritual terms, to, to look at what is happening in the spiritual realm and say, that's of God, or that is a spirit of, of lying, or a, a, a lustful spirit, or, or there's a spirit of deception behind this person, or that wasn't a spirit at all, that was just that person being a dummy, or, or, or I totally agree with that person being just naturally wise, right? The spirit of discerning of spirits is is not just uh, what helps you feel good, but it helps you to see whether what is behind what is happening actually is good. And then you can function 
uh, or respond appropriately based on what you see. So people without the gift of discernment of spirits can get a general sense of what is going on in the spiritual realm, but are often limited by personal experience, and we, we might end up just kind of guessing at what is going on. People with the gift of the, of the of discernment of spirits are like people looking right at the thermostat. Chris knows exactly what temperature it is in this room because he looked right at the reality, right? Just for the record, if you're wondering, what's the thermostat in the gift of discernment of spirits? It's always God. And where do we test everything that we think is God? Always in Scripture, right? God will never say anything that doesn't agree with what he's already said in the Word. Okay, now we've defined our term for a little bit. We've defined the gift, the discernment of spirits, a little bit. Let's look at the first of the two biblical examples that I want to give to you today. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16 with me. And I want to read to you a story about Jesus and Peter. If you don't have a Bible, this will be in the CSB translation up on the screen behind me. But we'll pick up this story in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? If you've read your Bible or heard stories about Jesus, you probably heard this story, right? He says, who does everybody say that I am? And then he replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus says, but you, his disciples, his followers, his, his closest people, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, because Simon Peter always answers. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Boom, yes. Good job, Peter. A plus. You said the right thing. Yay. We want to celebrate that because Peter doesn't always say the right thing. <laughs> Verse 17, it says, Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because, listen to this, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church which does not mean Peter becomes the Pope, uh, that he's magical and special and super awesome, that we all follow Peter. It was actually saying that on the rock of your faith, I will build the church. On faith that looks like this, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will never overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he gave the disciples order to tell no one that he was the Messiah, which is not a verse. That one verse right there is the one verse in that whole story that doesn't get to apply to you, because now you tell everybody that he is the Messiah. But here we see Jesus and Peter modeling this back and forth of what discernment of spirits looks like. Jesus asks this really important question, and Peter nails it with a really good answer. And then Jesus responds by pointing to the spirit behind Peter's really good answer. It's almost like a duel of discernment that's happening. They're both actually engaging this gift. Peter points out the spirit of Christ as the Messiah, and, and then Jesus points out the spirit behind Peter's insight into knowing that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus actually, he, in his response, he confirms, Peter, you were not speaking by the flesh. It was my Father in heaven who revealed this to you. That is the, the discernment of spirits moment that Jesus practices. And he's affirming that what Peter did was a discernment of spirits kind of moment. You were talking about the spirit behind what you see here. 
right? It's pretty good. They both got to engage in this. But basically, Jesus is saying, you didn't do this on your own. This is a gift from God. Now, an interesting side note, if you'd indulge me a side note for a moment. I have the microphone. You're going to. Uh, but I love, that, I love that discerning of spirits partners or, or maybe even leads into prophecy. Right? Jesus begins to prophesy to Peter. I'm changing your name, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, for, From now on, I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock, to represent this rock faith that you have. Discerning of spirits is what, is what calls out what is, and prophecy calls people into what will be. We'll talk about that when we get to prophecy later on as a spiritual gift. So in this moment, uh, Peter comes off as super insightful, and then Jesus pumps him up. That's basically what happens, but there's all of this like spiritual gift stuff that's happening. And, and in a, as an aside, prophecy is now made room for because of the gift of discerning of spirits. Because Peter and Jesus are both talking about the spiritual reality, Jesus is able to speak into the spiritual future. Right? It's pretty pretty powerful. It's pretty awesome. And by the way, just as a reminder, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that you don't have all of the gifts. The Holy Spirit gives these gifts to people as he sees fit, as he desires, as he thinks it's good for us. And so you probably don't have all of the gifts. And so if you ever function in the gift of discernment of spirits, and then you're going, what would be really good right now in this moment is a prophecy, find a prophet. And if you want to know what that looks like, man, you should have been at our pre-service prayer this morning because during prayer, the Lord told me something and it was a discerning of what was going on in the spirit in our church, in our pre-service prayer and just in our church in general. And so I stood up and I said the thing and, and then I was done. And then Marcus happened to be standing right here and he just goes like this. Standing right next to me, he just goes like this. And when Marcus goes like this and I'm holding a microphone, it, it just is Marcus's way. We have this, we don't need to talk about it anymore. He doesn't, he doesn't need words. He just goes like this. And I went, okay. And then he said, a prophecy. And he began to speak into our future as a church, right? Which, by the way, just for the record, you're always welcome to come at 925 every Sunday morning. It's an open door policy to come and pray with us. If you want to come even earlier, come at 830 and pray with us even then. So, you begin to see it a little bit in this story. Guess what? The story's not over. It takes a bit of a turn, and if you don't know the story, get ready to be shocked. In verse 21, uh, we'll pick up the story here in verse 21. It says, uh, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. It's a preamble. He's pre-telling them the gospel narrative. Right? I came to that you would have life and have life more abundantly, to set at liberty the captives. And, he, and he's beginning to tell them by what method he is going to accomplish that work. On the back end of the cross, we all go, oh, how brilliant that Jesus begins to prepare his disciples for what is coming. How prophetic that he begins to speak into the process. And you can see Peter begin to have the gears turn in his mind because what they were expecting just for historical context what the Jewish people were expecting was that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to overthrow Roman rule and that the people of Israel the Jewish people God's chosen people were finally going to be the people with all the political power 
And I know that now God's people aren't wrestling with that. I, I know we're, we've matured beyond trying to think that God's people should have political power. I know that's not something you can really relate to, but imagine a world where that was something that God's people were trying to pretend like we should have political power, right? That's where Peter was. That was a joke, by the way. We totally do that all the time, every day. So this is what Peter is hoping. Jesus will come and give me political power. And what did Peter just say? By the Spirit of God, you're the Messiah. What is Peter expecting now? Jesus to overthrow Roman rule. And what does Jesus actually do? He subverts the expectation because he's the master at that. And he says, you know how I'm going to accomplish my Messiah job? I'm going to suffer and die and raise from the dead on the third day. And verse 22 says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, which is what we should all be saying. But this is what Peter says. He says, oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Verse 23 is how Jesus responds. Get behind me, Satan. Whew. You are a hindrance to me. Or one translation says you're a stumbling block. You're something I'm tripping over. You're getting in the way. Because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but about human concerns. So Jesus is talking about his upcoming death. He's still, in a sense, really prophesying still, right? And Peter is not a fan. So he takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him. Now, uh, you can see here Jesus again engages the gift of discerning of spirits. And you can see how Peter has just like fallen off a cliff of discernment and has gone in completely the opposite direction, so much so that we don't know how many minutes happen between these two stories, but they're back to back in Scripture, which imply it is like a turn. Peter was the rock, and now he's Satan? In like five verses? How did this happen? We'll talk about how this happened in just a minute. It's, I think Jesus is actually doing two important things here, and hopefully over the next few minutes you begin to understand this moment a little bit more, and as a result, understand the gift of discernment of spirits. The first thing that Jesus does is that he called out the spirit behind Peter's words. This is how Jesus responds in this moment. That is the gift of discernment of spirits. He's calling out the spirit behind the words. And, and how does he refer to the spirit behind the words? Satan. The devil himself. The second thing that uh, Jesus does, though, which is helpful and also really good for us to remember, is that he told Peter how he got into this mess. We'll talk about that. We'll come back around to that in a minute. But, um, but, but it's important that Jesus does that because we have to remember the gifts of the Spirit. What does Paul say that they're for? To help. To help one another, not simply to rebuke one another. So, uh, just maybe a, a pro tip, if you ever see somebody using the gift of discernment to judge or condemn or belittle a person, what you're watching is spiritual abuse. We want to call that out for what it is. Okay, so let's get back on track. The spirit behind Peter's words is the devil. That much is kind of easily understood. Jesus turns and looks at him, he says, get behind me, Satan. And obviously, we can understand why Satan is involved in that. Of course, the devil doesn't want Jesus to accomplish his mission. So if he can lie to one of the guys close to Jesus and get Jesus to be rebuked so that he won't go and do the thing he's supposed to do, cool, let's try that. 
Of course I want to be a stumbling block. Of course I want to get in the way if I am the devil. But Jesus makes it clear just how quickly this turns. He says to Peter, Peter, you started thinking about man's concerns instead of God's concerns. Right? Listen to exactly the words that he says. You're a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. What were the human concerns? You're going to overthrow government. You're going to meet my expectations. You're going to give me everything that I need or think that I need or that I want. You stopped thinking about God's concerns. When was Peter thinking about God's concerns? I see the spirit behind this man, Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Good job, Peter. On that faith, I'll build my church. But you have to do it according to my standards. Get behind me, Satan, because you're getting in the way. Peter was on the right track when he pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. He got off track when he failed to agree with the plan of the Messiah. He didn't like the plan, and, and just a few moments ago, Jesus hired me as his personal consultant. So I can pull him aside, and now, because me and Jesus are shoulder to shoulder, same team, he loves everything I say and do, now I can tell him how to do his job. I know none of us wrestle with that. It's just... Look at Peter and judge him, right? None of us ever look at Jesus and say, this is how you should be Jesus. So maybe we can find ourselves in this story. What Jesus here is, what he's doing is he's calling out the spirit that would try to get God to change his plan. As Pentecostal as we want to be, as much as we can believe that we can, uh, that, that we can ask God to do things and when we lay hands on the sick, he will heal the sick. And as much as that is true and we believe it and we've seen it happen even this week, just for the record, as much as we are Pentecostal people, we're also people who believe in the sovereignty of God and we don't get to tell God what to do. We don't get to make him change his plans. So he pointed out the step that Peter took to get into the mess so that Peter could learn never to make the same mistake again. And this is one of the functions of the gifts of the discernment of spirits. But Peter also is learning this lesson for all of us who would have spiritual insight in any way. The lesson would be, regardless of whether or not you believe that you function in the gifts of discernment of spirit, the lesson is never assume that just because you said one right thing that everything else you ever say is right. Never assume that because you can quote one Bible verse that you know all the Bible. I, I, I'll tell you a real easy, simple way that I got to engage in this lesson in my own life, and, I, and, I, and I'm thankful for the reminder again this week. I, I stood up and I said this thing about the Supreme Court decision, and a friend of mine said, hey, can we have a conversation about that? How crazy would it have been if I had just said, well, you know, I said a thing, and I've said some things that have been right in the past, so you don't get to speak into the process, buddy, because I'm God's representative and his voice here in this moment, and i Man, I just am so sorry if you've ever been in a moment where someone has manipulated their ability to have once said something to, uh, that, that represented God and then used it against you when the Holy Spirit was telling you something was wrong and you didn't feel like you had a voice to say this is not right. I don't, I don't say that to prop myself up. In any way, because I got it right, because my friend said a thing to me this week, and look at how wonderful I did. 
If anything, I would just hope that that's not a profound example. It should be normal, right? That we don't think that because we got it right once that we'll get everything right. And Peter demonstrates just how much we need the Holy Spirit for kingdom supernatural discernment. Because just like that, he can go from getting it perfectly right to perfectly wrong. So the lesson in all of that is this. You need the Holy Spirit. And so do I. We need the Holy Spirit. This is a gift to the church so that we won't miss it as much as we are utterly prone to miss it because we are so utterly human. I think another thing that Peter teaches us in this moment uh, through his own mistake, and thank God that the Bible is full of people making mistakes so that we can learn how it's okay that we also do that. I think, I think that Peter teaches us that, that some of the people who we would point to and say they must have the gift of discernment are actually judgmental, are actually just being negative, or have actually allowed bitterness to come into their heart. Have you ever heard a person say, well, God certainly can't be in that, and it turns out that they just didn't like the thing? I mean, we just read a story about that. That's exactly what Peter did. He goes, God certainly can't be in Jesus dying. It turns out he just didn't like the thing. And look how dangerous that can be. So we need to be careful when somebody stands up and says, God definitely isn't in that or in this, or God definitely is in this, or this is the way we have to do it, and everybody else has it wrong. We have to be really, really careful that we don't start calling the spirit of discernment things that are actually judgment or bitterness or negativity. And that's not to say that every time that the gift of discernment is used, it'll sound good or that it'll sound bad. These things are nuanced. What it should sound like is the word of the Lord. And what it will do is we'll always agree with Scripture. But here's what Jesus would say, speaking of Scripture, to people who are wrestling with negativity, bitterness, and judgment, and calling it the discernment of spirits. He would say, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eyes, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own? So one of the ways that you can gauge, is a person being bitter or are they actually practicing the, the spirit of discernment of gifts? Is, is this person humble enough to confess their own sin before calling out somebody else's? And if all you ever hear from them is about how everybody else is bad, but you never hear anything that sounds like the Apostle Paul who called himself the chief of sinners, then maybe this is a bitter person, not a discerning person. So pro tip for you, I guess. To fully operate in this gift, you must be able to see what God actually sees about a person. What's of the devil, what's of the flesh, and what is of God's intention, his purpose, and his calling. And in order to do that, you desperately need to know his word and be filled with his Holy Spirit. So Jesus and Peter, they give us this great uh, example. Let me give to you a, a shorter story about Paul and an enslaved girl. In Acts chapter 16, we were in Matthew 16, now you would go to Acts chapter 16. It'll be up on the screen behind me. And it goes like this. Uh, Paul and Silas and a, and a crew of people, Luke was with them because he wrote a lot of the book of Acts. Uh, we, we see them traveling in a place called Philippi, which interestingly enough is the same place where this other story about Jesus and Peter took place. Uh, they, in the same city, are now ministering. It says, once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit 
by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul, she cried out, These men who, proclaim, or who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. Just for the record, what she's saying is, these guys represent the one true God. Listen to them. She's, she's like a PR campaign for them, following them around. The story goes on, though. It says, she did this for many days. And Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And look at the result. It came out right away. Now, this story is full of details. I could do an entire series just on this one story. But let me just give you a few kind of observations that I think will be helpful for us to understand how the gift of discerning of spirits works in this practical ministry out there in the wild kind of setting. The, the first thing that I want you to notice is, is, is this, and just be aware of this. Demonic spirits actually do have power. If they didn't, then James wouldn't have had to write in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But then the, also the good news, the follow-up is that Jesus tells us in Mark 16, verse 17, in my name you will cast out evil spirits. But how did they get there? They had some kind of a power to get there. What's helpful for us to understand is that demonic spirits do have power. What they don't have is authority. There's a difference. Authority is what tells power what to do. And Jesus is the ultimate authority. So we, we don't want to fool ourselves into thinking that demons don't have power. Because watch this. If demons don't have power, neither do angels. And we don't want to believe that. But we want to believe demons don't have power. No, let's just believe the truth. They do, but what they don't have is authority. And who has authority? Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is authority. And who gets to use the name of Jesus? You and me. Us. So do demons have power? Sure. Fine. Whatever. That's okay. That's like saying I have to admit the truth. The Celtics have some championships. But the Lakers will always be better. It's just, you know, sometimes things are just more true. Ron, look, my sister-in-law is here from Maryland today. And she said, while you're preaching, don't look at me because we're going to make goofy faces at you and try to make you laugh like a good sister-in-law does. And I told her, I said, don't worry, you're not the only one. And I just want to thank you for making me not turn out to be a liar today. <laughs> I love our church. <laughs> what was I talking about? Okay, we're talking about demons. Let's talk about demons some more. Okay, so they have power. The other thing I want you to know about demons is that they love to lie. They love deception. They love it so much I'm not even sure they know how to tell the truth. They probably do. You have to know a little bit about the truth to know how to twist it. But this girl, she sounded like she was saying good. Here's the, here's the scary reality, is that most of us, if we have someone going, this guy's awesome, everything he says is representing God, you know what we would do? We would hire them on our church's outreach team. This person is the best PR campaign we've ever had. They must have the gift of evangelism because they're just constantly telling everybody that what's happening here is good. And yet Paul, it seems like the text is saying from the very beginning had an insight that she was, there was something 
fishy going on. There was a spirit. Like Luke doesn't hide the fact. He puts it right at the top of the story. A slave girl who had a spirit. Right? He puts it right at the top of the story. And yet Paul let this go on for days. And we'll come back around to that for a minute. But here's, here's what I, I want you to know. Is that right from the very beginning, there's a spirit. And we can see right from the very beginning, the spirit, the demonic spirit is doing what demonic spirits try to do all the time. Is disrupt the work of God in any moment. And they'll do it by whatever means necessary. And they love to twist the truth. They love to lie and they love to get distractions happening and, and get the focus off of what God is doing. And so this girl, over time, she it sounds maybe even at the beginning like, man, this girl's saying awesome truth. And yet, could you imagine if someone, while we're trying to preach the word, would come into this room every single day and and, and, would, and would just talk, like interrupt all of the sermon points and, and go, man, that preacher, everything he says is great. Everybody listen to the preacher. And eventually the preacher would have to say, let the people listen to the preacher. Right? And it wouldn't be a matter of like, hey, respect me. It's respect what God is trying to do in the moment. It's just shh, let God talk. Right? And so this clearly has become a distraction. Paul perceived the Spirit. I think he perceived the Spirit right away. But that actually leads into the next thing I wanted, I wanted to say, is that um, this story helps us to understand that not everything you're aware of is actually a crisis. And there's a lot of people who have the gift of discernment of spirits who have no chill. <laughs> and you should really have some chill. Because remember, you have authority. They might have power. There might be some stuff going on here. But what do you have? Something that trumps all of that. Something that supersedes all of that. And so you don't need to panic. If you perceive something that's going on in the spirit, be observant. Ask God what you should do. And respond the way God would want you to respond. Not the way all of a sudden your flesh would respond. Right? Why would, why would God give you a spiritual insight so that you can have a fleshly panicky reaction? That doesn't make any sense at all. And so Paul lets this whole thing go on for several days because he's, this girl's emergency is not Paul's emergency. And maybe somewhere in the back of Paul's mind, he's going, well, if she's going to keep hanging out, eventually she's going to get set free. So we'll just let her keep showing up. It's not my crisis. This girl's getting bathed in the word of God every day. It's like just priming the pump for the moment where she's going to get delivered. Let her show up. Man, we're just so quick to be like, we got to get rid of all the demons right now. Otherwise, the word of God can't speak. Pastor, you have to stop everything and deal with the spirit. Is that, no, preach the word. Focus on God. Stop panicking. But when Paul took action, take the right action. Notice where Paul directs his attention. Listen to verse 18 again. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Turning to the Spirit. He didn't turn to the girl, he turned to the Spirit. Where was the Spirit? It was in the girl, but he didn't turn and talk to the girl. He talked to the Spirit. It's really, really important. This is really, really important. Remember when we were talking about spiritual abuse a few minutes ago? It's really, really important that we speak to the influence and not the victim when we're casting out or dealing with demons. Let's not make it her fault. She's a victim in this story. 
So the girl was talking. Paul knew exactly what was happening. It wasn't necessarily her fault. She's being used. And so he turns around and does what Jesus did to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus didn't turn around and go, Peter, you're fired. He spoke to the Spirit at work. And Peter did the same thing. So discernment of, spirit, of spirits empowers you to discern between spirits. So you have to speak specifically to the spirit you see. Because remember, this girl, what did she also have? A human spirit. And so it was important that he didn't speak to her flesh and he didn't speak to her spirit. He was speaking to the demonic spirit and he cast it out. That's really, really important. Finally, uh, we, we would see this, that Paul actually helped. <laughs> Paul actually helped. This gift allowed Paul to spot the Spirit, to name it, to, to uh, name Jesus in this conversation and, and, and bring freedom because Jesus is the ultimate authority. I feel like maybe I've said that before. All right, look, I could go on and on and on. Like I said, I could do a whole series on this. We've talked a lot. We've defined the term. We've talked a little bit from biblical uh, perspectives about what does this look like? How does it work? Can I wrap up by giving you some practical steps? If, if you have questions about how to engage the gift of discerning of spirits, let me give to you five steps that will be helpful to engage this gift. And, and I think that these steps would apply if you're the person with the gift of discerning of spirits and also if you are in a relationship with a person, like you have a friend or you go to church with somebody or you're, you're like talking to somebody and they are demonstrating or engaging the gift of discernment of spirits. The first thing that we should do is pray. In fact, I would just say pray a lot. Be a person of prayer. You should pray before you engage this gift, while you engage this gift, after this gift is engaged. You should just be a person of prayer because you cannot see what is spiritual if you do not stay connected to what is spiritual. Right? So a practical prayer for you every single morning would be something like this. Holy Spirit, help me today to see what you want me to see and to say what you want me to say. Pray that every day, whether you have this gift or you know somebody that does or you would like this gift to be present in your life. The second thing is just test it. Test what you sense. Test it. Test it against Scripture. Why? Because God will never say anything that he doesn't agree with in his word. And then test it with other people. Maybe you know people who have this gift. Call them. Write out what you're seeing or thinking or feeling or sensing and send it to them in a text message or an email or, or, or go have coffee with them and ask them to mentor you through this and, and say, this is what I'm feeling. What do you think? Am I right here? And especially do that with people with the gift of discernment of spirits because they might look at you and say, what you're actually feeling is your flesh. It turns out you just don't like that person. And be mature enough and humble enough to receive the correction. Or they might say, what you're sensing is real. There's something of God here or something of the devil at work here. And then be humble and wise enough to take the next right step to help that person. The third thing would be to respond accordingly. Respond the right way to what God is telling you. God does not reveal things to us for no reason. Okay, so for example, what this, what this would look like. If you discern that the Spirit of God is at work in a person, just celebrate that. Receive what's said to you if it's something that's being said to you. Partner with it. If it's God, partner with it by all means. Thank God for what you've seen and heard. Uh, second, if you discern the Spirit of man is behind someone's words, you get to choose whether or not you partner with that. You're not obligated to partner with people. 
or to agree with people. You don't have to. If they say something and it turns out it's the spirit of flesh, you can just go, was that good advice? If so, I'll receive it. Was that bad advice? No, I'm good. You don't have to be a punk about it. Just don't receive it. Here's what we know. The spirit of man can inspire great profound wisdom and incredible stupidity and foolishness. You get to determine that. So you should come back around to prayer. Right? And the third way that this might play out for ourselves is if you discern a demonic spirit is behind someone's words, do not receive anything that is said. Just don't. And it's helpful. I know friends who would say out loud, I don't receive that. Because it's helpful for your own spirit, your own mind, and even the spirit that's trying to talk to you to know what field we're on. I don't receive any of this. Why? Because that's a spirit of the devil that's at work. I don't receive it. And then I would even go so far as to say, I would advise you, rebuke the demonic spirit in the name of Jesus. But then this leads us to the fourth step. You better be ready for spiritual warfare. Man, we don't take this seriously. Or we limit it to like just a select few people. I've never read a story in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, where God looked at someone and was like, hey, since you've only been a Christian for two days, you're exempt from having to worry about spiritual warfare? Demons won't start attacking you until you've been a Christian for 16 years. The story doesn't exist. Okay, but also, can I say this to you in all love? Spiritual warfare does not mean shouting at people. It means using the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, by whatever means are necessary in that moment to make sure that person is set free. I never read a story about Jesus turned around and debated with a demon. Neither did Paul. Just use the name of Jesus, right? But demons do like to lie. They do like to push back. They do like to test their boundaries. They do want to know if you know Jesus as much as they know about Jesus. So know Jesus! Dedicate your life to his word. Be filled with the presence of God. Don't play, but be confident about the authority of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit over every other spirit. But be careful. Please do not hear what I just said as permission to go out and treat it as some kind of whack-a-mole in the spirit game that we can go and cast out demons because we think it's fun. This is life and death stuff we are talking about. Take this seriously. Don't be scared, but take it seriously. It's like when my brother was teaching me how to drive when I was a younger person. I remember my brother took me out to drive, and he said one thing that has always stuck in my brain. He said, Tim, never lose a healthy fear of the road. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Am I supposed to be scared right now? Should I start crying? And he began to explain to me what that meant was keep your head on a swivel. Be aware that not everyone else is going to be as good of a driver as you. Some people are having a bad day, and they might try to take it out on you. Have a healthy fear of the road, and we should have a healthy fear of the Lord. Right? And then we should have a healthy fear of this idea of spiritual warfare. It doesn't mean don't get in your car and drive. It means keep your head on a swivel. Take this seriously, but take Jesus with you wherever you go, and you get to win. When spiritual warfare is done by people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, sons and daughters of the Most High God, and who are focused more on God and his word than on anything else. If you don't fit into that category, get into that category. 
I don't know how else to say that. Get there. You need that. And then finally, fifth step is this. Be connected to prophecy. Remember how Jesus began to prophesy to Peter, and I had said, isn't it interesting that the gift of the discernment of spirits usually leads into prophecy? Just be connected to prophecy. And if you don't have the gift of prophecy, make friends with a prophet. In fact, make friends with several prophets. As many as you can. They're fun people to hang out with. They say awesome stuff. And, it, and, and if there's ever a, a, a pothole, I'm being very serious right now, if there's ever a pothole in, in the road ahead of you, spiritually speaking, your prophet friends are the ones who will tell you to change lanes. How has it been such smooth sailing for my life for so many years? Maybe you just have prophet friends who keep telling you to change lanes. Discerning of spirits is about calling out what is, and prophecy is about calling people into what will be. And so if you find yourself in a place where you have the gift of discernment of spirits, or you have a friend who says something like, there's a demonic spirit here, or there's a, a spirit of the flesh functioning here, and it's not God, we want to get God invited into this situation, then what's really helpful is to have a prophet who can come in and say, now this is what God would say must be done next, or where God is leading you. That's prophecy. It's the forward thinking, forward movement. What is God saying comes down the road. And especially if you find yourself in a position where you're dealing with demonic spirits, you want to know a prophet. So find a prophet. <laughs> They're awesome. If you want to ask me who the prophets are, I'll tell you about it sometime. Buy me a cup of coffee. Okay. I've covered a ton of ground. I know. A ton of ground. We've said a lot. And, and I want you to understand I am aware that you're probably walking out of here with more questions about the gift of discernment of spirits then maybe even answers. And if that's how you feel right now, yeah, I did my job. Good. That's what we want. We actually are doing this series so that you walk out of here asking more questions. If you want a place to ask those questions, we've been having great conversations about the gifts of the Spirit on Wednesday nights here in our adult gatherings. Uh, get into a, a circle of friends who will wrestle with the Word. But be hungry for this stuff because what we are praying about as we teach through this series is that God would increase our desire to know even more. That he, We call that spiritual hunger, that he would increase our spiritual hunger. And my hope is this, that you would seek the Lord when you think about gifts of discernment of spirits, that this sermon would not terrify you because we talked about demons, but that it would drive you to seek the Lord. Uh, my hope is that you would go from a place of this, a sermon like this and have questions that you would then go read scripture to find the answers. Or my hope is that you would walk out of a sermon like this with a desire to pray. And maybe even all three of those things. And in fact, I would say that those three things could be invitations for you to take action. And so if you were to frame it like that, what steps would you take this week? Think about your own life for a second. As we begin to close out this moment, let me ask you these three questions. Number one, what would seeking the Lord look like for you this week? Maybe it would look like stepping back from media. Maybe it would look like leaning into conversations about God and Instead of you fill in the blank, what do you usually have conversations about? What do you usually put your focus on? What would it look like for you to intentionally seek the Lord for the next seven days? 
Marcus and I have been having a running conversation, just feeling like we're being called into a season of seeking God's face. And we sat down on, uh, was it Wednesday when we were talking? We sat down on Wednesday, and we were talking about how's it been. We have kind of touching base. And we both just agreed, I think we're going to re-up that for another week. We're just going to seek the Lord. So I'm doing things like deleting social media apps off my phone. I'm choosing to read my word instead of pick up a, a, a fiction book or, or to turn on the TV. It's just little choices here and there that build up to a week of seeking the Lord. God, I, I need you. What would that look like for your life? The second question, what does a fresh commitment to reading Scripture look like for you? Look, if, if you're one of those people that joins our, our annual prayer reading plan, by this time you've probably uh, fallen off and restarted three times. So we're in summer. It's July. We're about to celebrate 4th of July tomorrow. We're really excited about all of that. What would it look like right now as we're coming into a weekend of celebration to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leverage a weekend of celebration and all of the high of this weekend to say, let me get some, some, some momentum and r- dig into God's word. What would that look like for your life? Maybe it's recommitting to a, a, a daily reading plan. Maybe it's studying the word with friends or asking questions about the Bible that you have that you don't understand things to people that you think maybe do understand things. Pro tip, don't just Google it. The internet has some terrible ideas about the Bible. <laughs> okay, third question. What would a fresh commitment to prayer look like this week? A fresh commitment to prayer. What would it look like for you to schedule time to pray? Write a list of things to pray about, and then during that time that's scheduled to pray, name those things before God out loud. Pray about them out loud, and then ask God for help or wisdom or miracles or whatever it is that you would ask God for. Why did you put that on the list and ask God to intervene in whatever way you need him to? When you're done praying through the list, open up the book of Psalms and just begin to pray the Psalms out loud. Most of them will be so incredibly life-giving to your soul. And the ones that aren't incredibly life-giving are really, really challenging, which if you do it right is also really life-giving. Pray the Psalms. It's an ancient practice of God's people. Or join us on, on Friday mornings at 5.30 on Zoom for our weekly prayer meeting. And if 5.30 on Friday mornings is too early, start a prayer group with your friends when you are awake. Pray. What would it look like for you to make a fresh commitment to prayer today? Now, finally, as you, as you talk about spiritual realities, as you listen to a sermon like this, we've, we've covered so many different topics and all under the, the umbrella of this gift of the discernment of spirits. I know that you might be, you certainly are more aware of your own spirituality and spiritual reality than I am. You might be aware of a need in your own life that you have right now. You, you might feel like you need to pray to talk to somebody, to, to go into spiritual warfare with somebody about a spiritual battle or to ask God to intervene. Maybe you just need to talk to somebody about a question that you have, about something that you've heard today about discerning of spirits. Um, you, you might even have questions about what is this thing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Tim said is the foundation for all of the spiritual gifts. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you need to pray today. And so at the end of all of our sermons during this series, we are ending these gatherings by making space for you to 
be invited to come and pray. And so before we got going today, I had asked some friends of mine if they would make themselves available to uh, come up at the front and just be ready to pray. And I'm going to ask you if you're one of those people, if you just come right here right now and, and be ready to pray. Today, these folks that I've asked to come up and pray, uh, when I dismiss you in a moment, um, they're just going to be here and available. And there's other people in this room who can pray with you as well. So if you've got a friend that you'd really love to pray with, we trust your judgment in that. Um, but pray if you need it. When I dismiss you, I invite you to pray. But before we do that, I, I was thinking a good way that we can kind of put a period on this moment, then I'll dismiss you to pray or to go and have lunch or maybe to pray and then go have lunch. I thought maybe one thing that we should begin to do at the end of this series is to pray a prayer together. So I just wrote a simple prayer for us. It's going to be on the screen. Do you think we could stand to our feet as we wrap up this moment and pray this prayer together? And then I think that for the rest of this series, we're going to make this our practice. So we're going to pray a prayer together in unity uh, just like this. And so would you pray this out loud with me? It goes like this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your love and for the gifts you pour out on your church. As we pursue the fullness of your presence and power, use us to be a gift to each other and also to those outside of your church. Be honored in and through our lives. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.